at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Friends, we can all listen to the sunny side of sports. Great show, bro. This is sunny side of sports. Right here on the Voice of America. Voice of America. Forty greetings to all our Voice of America listeners. This is VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. Welcome to the October 12th edition of the Sunny Side of Sports. With the World Cup officially kicking off in 39 days, a World of Football exhibition has opened in the host country, Qatar. The exhibition, which will run through April 2023, showcases a wide range of unique items like shirts and shoes worn by such legendary players as Pele and Diego Maradona. Museum guide Ahmad Amula says football fans will love the collection and he points out two footballs on display. So one of the most important artifacts that we have in this exhibition is the 1930s Uruguay, which they first hosted the first ever FIFA in the world. And over here, we got a football for 2022 FIFA World Cup where we're going to host it here in Qatar. So as you can see, the past and the future comes together. And speaking of the future, VOA's Gwen Uden will tell us more about the World of Football exhibition in Qatar on Friday's sunny side of sports. In African women's football, World Cup-bound South Africa realizes it has a lot of work to do after losses to Australia and Brazil in friendly international matches. Banyana Banyana of South Africa, the reigning African champion, lost 4-1 to Australia, the 2023 Women's World Cup co-host, on Saturday in London. And that loss followed two defeats last month to Brazil by margins of 6-0 and 3-0. For reaction, Iron Mike Mbonye called Johannesburg, where he reached South African women's football analyst Busasiwe Mokwena. I think uh, Banyana played okay. I'm not going to say they played well because they didn't, um, unfortunately. Um, they allowed the Australians to play in their own half, which is why we saw so many mistakes in the Banyana defense, in the Banyana goal area. Um, which resulted in most of the goals, in, in all the four goals, rather. Um, so uh, the, the defense was really shaky, and I think that is what uh, Coach Deirdre Ellis needs to work on. I mean, it's, it's similar with their games against Brazil, the two games against Brazil. The defensive um, errors that Banyana committed were really um, disappointing, which is why we saw them lose uh, with those kind of scores. What's your assessment of the new players used by Coach Desire Ellis for the international friendly against Australia? Um, seeing the some of the new players uh, was really good. Um, uh, a few players that played at the recent Kosafa Women's Championship, uh, you know, got um, to play 
in 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 that game um maybe there was a bit of a stage fright i mean they were playing against a team that's ranked 12th in the world and that has uh, plenty well all the players who play for the matildas have are playing professional football and only a few in the Banyana team play professional football the likes of Jermaine Sioposenwe, uh, Linda Mutalo, um, you know, who were in that squad. Um, I think that could have been the main issue with especially the players who were earning their second or third or fourth um caps in this in this um in this encounter. Um but I think uh you know, having or rather playing against the top ranked teams is a good opportunity for the coaches and the players as well to try and learn and see how well they can do, um, you know, as they continue preparing for the FIFA Women's World Cup next year. Bosisiwe, the FIFA Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand is one year ahead. What's your take on Bayana Bayana's preparations for the World Cup? I think it's very important that the players get to test themselves against top-ranked teams. So the first um, preparation match was against Brazil. Um, unfortunately, the score was not favorable uh, for the South Africans. I mean, uh, in the two matches, they lost 9 nil on aggregate that's not um convincing that's not uh saying you know this is a team who just won the continental tournament uh but you know brazil and um, australia are both ranked um way higher than banana on the fifa world rankings so um you know playing against teams like those and players who play week in uh, week out football professional football at that is is really good the players get to learn from these players um and that means once you know they have to travel down under mentally they'll be ready you know to to give their all because now they are testing themselves um against uh, these top ranked teams hopefully in the next coming few months, maybe even before um, this year and uh, in the next uh, international window, hopefully Banyana will get a chance to play against another top-ranked team. That would definitely mean, uh, you know, South Africa are on the right track because with the uh, CAF women's um, AFCON, they didn't really get to prepare that much. Uh, luckily, they did get to win it, but I think it's because of years and years of, of, of preparation and just getting the team together. But um, the World Cup is bigger, and you know there's more teams playing in the World Cup, so um, preparing against top-ranked teams is what will help this team do better at the next tournament. That's Busa Siwe Mokwena, a South African women's football analyst. And she spoke with Iron Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Johannesburg, South Africa. Sporty greetings. I am Busi Mugwena, South African sports journalist. You are listening to the sunny side of sport on The Voice of America. Do enjoy. The U.S. women's national soccer team, four-time Women's World Cup champions, has suffered consecutive defeats for the first time since 2017. The American women lost to host Spain Tuesday 2-0 
in a friendly international match played in Pamplona. Leia Codina and Esther Gonzalez scored for Spain, which was missing 15 players in a dispute with coach Jorge Vilda and the Spanish Federation. Now, the result came four days after the USA lost to England 2-1 in another friendly international played at Wembley Stadium in London. Against the Spanish women, the USA did not create many scoring chances. The USA has lifted the trophy at the past two Women's World Cups. But these results in Spain and England show the American women will definitely be tested at the 2023 Women's World Cup, which will be hosted by New Zealand and Australia. And speaking of Australia, a launch ceremony was held Wednesday for the 2023 Australian Open Tennis Tournament. Craig Gabriel reports from Melbourne, Australia. The 2023 Australian Open was launched in Melbourne and it promises to be another extravaganza across a three-week period in January, with the main draw going from the 16th to the 29th of January 2023. Tournament director and Tennis Australia boss Craig Tiley has made it clear that the intention is to ramp things up for Australia's biggest international annual sporting event and to be even better than pre-pandemic days. Tiley has set the ambitious target of 900,000 spectators across three weeks in what will be a total festival and carnival atmosphere. From the biggest names in world tennis to food experiences and activities around Melbourne Park, it promises to be entertainment personified. The biggest names will be heading Australia's way. Defending champion Rafa Nadal, Nick Kyrgios, Yannick Sinner, Francis Tiafo, Stefano Tsitsipas, Ons Jabeur, Coco Goff and the this goes on and on. But one thing that will stand out with the superstars will be the young guns as the respective world number ones Carlos Alcaraz and Iga Sviantec lead the charge that will produce some of the most thrilling tennis ever. This is going to be the first totally free Australian Open since 2019. Now there's no public indication as yet when there will be a decision on whether Novak Djokovic will be allowed to play the Australian Open. It's no longer to do with being vaccinated vaccinated or not, but everything to do with an exemption to the deportation order that he was hit with at last Australian Open, which stops him from returning to the country for three years, unless the government grants him an exemption. And unlike Wimbledon, all the Russian and Belarusian players, Daniil Medvedev, Vika Azarenka, Andrei Rublev, Arena Sabalenka and company, will be allowed to play in Australia. Craig Gable for VOA Sports, Melbourne. Sonny Young, and you're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Follow the sunny side of sports on Facebook and Twitter. My Facebook address is facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny. And my Twitter handle is at VOA Sunny Sports. 
If you go to my Facebook page on this Wednesday, you'll see a photo of German goalkeeper Manuel Neuer in action. The gloves that Neuer wore during the 2018 World Cup are on display at that World of Football exhibition in Qatar, the host country of the 2022 World Cup. You can check out your favorite programs, including the sunny side of sports and much more at voaafrica.com. And for world news, go to voanews.com. The sunny side of sports looked at Queen Elizabeth's love of horses and horse racing last month following her death. In this sunny side of sports highlight for 2022, I reported how it's a love that spanned more than 90 years. As the world mourns the death of Britain's Queen Elizabeth II at the age of 96, what was her legacy in terms of sports? Perhaps her favorite sports were equestrian and horse racing. Horses were one of the British monarch's true passions. She received her first riding lesson at age three, was given her first pony when she turned four, and the queen also owned horses that won high-stakes races. Let's listen in now to this British newsreel as the Queen's horse, Karatsa, wins the 1957 Oak Stakes race. The disappointment of Derby Day was forgotten as the Queen discussed her prospects for the Oaks with her jockeys, W.H. Carr and Lester Pickett. And the crowd, thronging Epsom Downs, looked on and hoped for a royal champion to succeed where such as Oriole, Landor and Dutel had failed. The field of 11 got off to a good start, with the two royal hopes, Albury Harbour and Carrozza, not among the early leaders. They were bred for stamina. Round the wide bend to Tattenham Corner, it's Tettinger, number five, the northern hope, showing the way from Winged Sprite of Ireland, with number two, Mulberry Harbour, ready to move. Round Tattenham Corner, Tatinger still striding ahead from Wing Sprite, but then a gasp of dismay. Mulberry Harbour is dropping back, but Carrozza, number one, and Lester Pickett are waiting their chance. Into the straight and the chairs swell, for a royal champion has appeared as we hand over to Raymond Glendenny. And it's still Carrozza. It's Carrozza from Silken's Lider. Rose Royale's dropping back a bit. And Carrozza it is. Challenged now by Silken's Lider. And Carrozza in the line of 50 yards. Play a match to the Queen. A leg here. And Pickett is breaking hard on her. Something is coming right up. And suppose it can only be a fraction if it's Carrozza. That's off the Queen. Victory by a short head. But for a moment, Carrozza nearly spoils the racing picture of the year. So the Queen leads in her first classic winner, a magnificent Derby Oaks triumph for jockey Lester Piggott and the man behind the scenes, trainer Noel Merlis. A great result as the royal owner, who has so often greeted defeat with a smile, enjoys a big race triumph. 
Hats off to the Queen, our longtime sunny side of sports reporter in London. The energetic Andy Edwards has also been looking back on the part horse racing played in the life of Queen Elizabeth II. Hello, Andy. Hello, Sonny. The figures themselves are impressive enough in a career where, as a racehorse owner, her stables won almost 1,000 races. But what was also clear throughout her life, and now at her passing, is her active involvement. It stemmed from childhood. The Royal House of Windsor, from Queen Victoria in the late 19th century onwards, always had members keen on the outdoor life, hunting, shooting and fishing. The young Elizabeth was given a pony at the age of three, and that connection continued right to the end of her life. Two days before her death, one of the Queen's horses, a two-year-old filly by the name of Love Affairs, won at the Goodwood Racecourse in Sussex in southern England. Such a fitting name for that filly, Andy. Love Affairs. The Queen certainly had a love affair with horse racing. Andy, what impact did the Queen's involvement as an owner have on the sport of horse racing? Her presence always ensured a high profile for the sport. By that I mean not just having the resources to fund stables, trainers, jockeys and some of the best head trainers, but also her physical presence at racing. As an owner, she won her first race in 1949, four years before she became queen. In looking back over her career in horse racing, I found pictures of her leading in, that is, taking the winning horse by the bridle into the winner's enclosure. I was looking at one a few minutes ago of a photograph taken in 1957, where the young queen is leading in her horse, Carrozza, ridden by one of the greats, Lester Piggott, after winning the prestigious Oaks at Epsom. Race meetings in Britain, such as Derby Day at Epsom, always had a royal presence. Yes, Andy, I also had to go check out that photo of the Queen leading in her winning horse, Carrozza, in 1957. Great photo. And we heard that British newsreel of Carrozza winning in 1957. Andy, did uh, Queen Elizabeth win many important races as an owner? Well, while any owner who stays in the sport for many years is likely to have their losing streaks, the Queen's colours, or silks, worn by her jockeys, triumphed in all but one of the five British classics. Only the Derby eluded her. Twenty years ago, her horses and jockeys appeared to have lost their winning touch, but the stables recovered to such an extent that last year, the 70th and jubilee year of her reign, the Queen entered 41 horses in competition and achieved 36 wins, the most successful run of her career as an owner. Not only did she own horses, she also sold them as products of the royal stud. This and a mutual interest in racing led to close ties with Sheikh Mohammed and others of the ruling family in Dubai. Andy, did other members of the royal family follow the Queen and her interest in horses and racing? Not to such an extent, but it shouldn't be forgotten that her daughter, Princess Anne, rode in the 1976 Olympics in Montreal as a member of the British eventing team. So far, there's no indication that any member of the British royal family takes such an active interest in horse racing as Queen Elizabeth did. It's too early to say what will be the future of the Queen's horses and stables. 
King Charles III has well-known interests in the environment and architecture, but has not been a regular presence in the horse racing world. Thanks, Andy. That's the energetic Andy Edwards speaking with us from London. This is the voice of America. Washington, D.C. Sporting greetings. This is Masai Ujiri, the president of Toronto Raptors Basketball, president of Giants of Africa Foundation. You are listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. Hi, I'm Kim Lewis. Join me and our panel of journalists as we discuss the top stories of the week, including President Joe Biden and G7 leaders met virtually to discuss their commitment to support Ukraine and hold Russian President Vladimir Putin accountable for Russia's aggression, including its recent missile strikes across Ukraine. We'll examine this and more on Issues in the News this Saturday and Sunday on The Voice of America. Go beyond the daily headlines with VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. Each weekday, join us as we put the latest developments into a global context with stories, interviews, and analysis. Listen online at voanews.com slash flashpoint or in your favorite podcast player. Sporty greetings. This is Toby Mission, 100 meter hurdles, African champion, African Games record holder, national champion, Commonwealth Games champion, Olympic finalist, Diamond League trophy winner. You're listening to the sunny side of sport on The Voice of America. Thank you. Thank you, Toby, world champion and world record holder. Toby Amusan is one of 10 nominees for the Women's World Athlete of the Year Award for 2022. It's been a great year for Toby. She set the Women's 100 Meters Hurdles World Record at the World Championships here in the USA, where she clocked 12.12 seconds. And in addition to her world title, Toby won Diamond League commonwealth and african championships kenya's 1500 meters world champion faith kipyagon is the only other african athlete among the 10 nominees the eight other nominees are world shot put champion chase ely of the usa world 400 meters hurdles champion sydney mclaughlin of the usa World 100-meter sprint champion Shelly Ann Fraser-Price of Jamaica. World 200-meter sprint champion Sharika Jackson of Jamaica. World 20-kilometer racewalk champion Kimberly Garcia of Peru. Ukrainian high jumper Yaroslava Mahochik. World 400-meters champion Shawne Miller-Oibo of the Bahamas. And world triple jump champion Yulimar Rojas of Venezuela. The World Athletics Council and the World Athletics family will cast their votes by email. And fans can vote online via the World Athletics social media platforms. The voting will close on October 31st. And then five women and five men finalists will be announced by World Athletics. 
You're listening to the sunny side of sports on The Voice of America. In European club football, Chelsea moved to the top of Group E in the UEFA Champions League Tuesday when it beat AC Milan 2-0 in Italy. Both goals came in the first half. The Brazilian Jorginho scored on a penalty shot in the 21st minute after Milan's Ficayo Tomori was shown a red card for pulling back Mason Mount in the area. Gabonese star Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang doubled the lead with a goal in the 34th minute against his former club. A crowd of more than 75,000 attended the match at San Siro in Milan, Italy. In Denmark, Manchester City advanced to the knockout stage with two rounds of group play remaining after a scoreless draw against host Copenhagen. In UEFA Champions League action Wednesday evening, Rangers will host Liverpool. VOA's Gwen Uten tells us some key Liverpool players will miss the match. Sporty greetings, Gwen. Sporty greetings, Sonny. Last week, Liverpool clinched a much-needed 2-0 home victory over Rangers FC in the UEFA Champions League. But over the weekend, they suffered a 3-2 defeat in the Premier League against current leaders Arsenal, dropping Liverpool to 10th place in league standings and 14 points off the top of the table. And now, as the team struggles to find their form, three Liverpool players will be absent for Wednesday's return match at Rangers. Forward Luis Diaz is expected to be sidelined for six to eight weeks with a knee injury. Defender Trent Alexander-Arnold has been forced off the pitch for two to three weeks to treat his ankle. And fellow defender Joel Matiff has been ruled out of Wednesday's match with a calf issue. This latest setback has crippled an already sluggish start to Liverpool's season. But on the eve of his Champions League fixture, manager Jurgen Klopp said his side is prepared to fight in their upcoming match, despite the absence of some key players. This is a tough situation, and I really, and but it's a challenge, and we face always challenges, and we go for it. And I'm sorry for our, for our people that expected after last season that we go again and fly again and, and 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 compete with everything. Now it's not the case. I cannot promise we will fly tomorrow, but I can promise we will fight. Definitely. And that, until somebody tells us the fight is over, um, that's all what we can promise. And yes, it didn't become easier since Sunday because of the injuries, but the team I saw today in training, I liked a lot. So let's give it a go. Defender Andy Robertson is set to return to the pitch on Wednesday, but the fixture comes too soon for midfielders Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Nabi Keita, and Curtis Jones, who are all still recovering from their injuries. Following Wednesday's match, Liverpool has a tough schedule ahead. On Sunday, they host Manchester City, who are currently second in the Premier League and have been relentless on the pitch since the start of the season. Liverpool finished out the month with group stage fixtures against Ajax Amsterdam and Napoli in the Champions League and they take on third place Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League in early November. Jurgen Klopp is no doubt leaning on the power of quick healing and he said he will monitor his injured players closely. I thought we uh, were maybe hopefully a little bit lucky with, uh, with Trent um, because the angle didn't look good to be honest, 
Uh, Lucho. Yeah. What's it for they say now? Six to eight or whatever. So we will see how long. Um, Lucho looks like a quick healer, but anyway, we have to. We have obviously to be careful with that. But um, could have been worse as well. The way he he moved after the game, and actually Joel just felt a little bit. But that's what you do nowadays. You make a scan, and then it was it was out as well. So um, yeah, that's not not great, but it's the situation, and um, we have to deal with it, and we will. Liverpool are currently second in Group A of the Champions League, three points behind leaders Napoli. Meanwhile, upcoming opponents Rangers are at the bottom of that group and hope to pick up their first points on Wednesday. And I want to mention that Premier League team Tottenham Hotspur are at home on Wednesday for their Champions League match against Eintracht Frankfurt. Tottenham are hoping to bounce back from last week's scoreless draw in Germany. Spurs manager Antonio Conte has acknowledged that his side needs goals in the Champions League with the help of striker Harry Kane, who has netted eight goals in 12 matches in the Premier League, but has yet to score in the Champions League. Tottenham are currently in second place and are level with Frankfurt at four points apiece in Group D. And that is all from me, Sonny. Back over to you. Thanks, Gwen. That's my VOA colleague, Gwen Uden. And that wraps up the October 12th edition of the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm VOA's Sonny Young in Washington. And that's the sunny side of sports. <laughs>